God is, God is just too good. Is he? He's too good. Oh, man, today's a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. God, I just thank you that you are so good, that you are faithful, you are present in every time of need. God, I just thank you that even now across the globe in Israel, you are present, your spirit is working. God, I, I just lift up the nation of Israel to you. In the name of Jesus, I lift up every innocent victim in this situation, this tragedy, this massacre, God. In the name of Jesus, that you would bring healing to people. In Jesus' name I pray. God, I, I thank you that you're still speaking today to us. You're so present, even in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jordan. How are you guys doing? Good. I'm going to preach today. I know some of you are like, service is almost over. It's time for lunch. Um, but I'm going to give you the best lunch, the best food this morning. It's good. Thanks, Mom. It's, I, I love every time I get to do that. I, today's going to be good. I. Is it all right if I just sit down and we just have a chat? That's kind of the format I want to take today. I'm pivoting a bit. Um, because as you all know, I guess you know, maybe you don't. Uh, Israel's at war. Uh, it, everyone has heard of this already. It started yesterday. Um, 50 years in one day uh, after Yom, Yom Kippur in 1973. Um, it's pretty devastating. If you watch the videos, I've seen some reports that I wish I had not seen. And I've been very invested in the information and what has been going on and what has transpired. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to give you a biblical perspective. Um, so I just kicked my other sermon to the side because I feel like this is a conversation that you and I need to have. Um, I want you to understand what's going on in the world from a biblical perspective. I don't want the narrative to be driven by media. Um, even worse than legacy media, God forbid, TikTok. <laughs> I don't want TikTok to be the voice that is speaking to you. I want you to understand what's going on biblically in the world. Is that all right with you? We're going to have a good time. I'm going to just do some teaching today. Um, I think you'll find it very helpful. I'm going to move fairly quick. I didn't provide notes for you today. I just wrote my own notes uh, for today. You're going to want to take notes. Maybe that's on your phone or a piece of paper. If you need blank paper, I don't know if our team can find just some blank paper to hand out if you happen to want to be one of those people to use pen or, or pencil. Um, I just wanted today to go beyond pray for Israel. We should pray for Israel. And I even put pray for Israel on my social media, and I think we should. We should throw that up there, make people aware that that's a need. But uh, I want to take it a, a bit further, and I want to give you information. I want your prayers to be armed with Bible. 
I want your prayers and your thoughts to be guided by what God is doing in the earth right now. Um, I believe if you've been at this church for any length of time, it's, it's, it's no secret that I believe we are in the end days. The end days, as in there is coming a day where Jesus is going to return to this earth, uh, known as the rapture, and believers in the twinkling of an eye will be changed from mortal to immortal, from perishable to imperishable. We are going to get glorified bodies, and we're going to meet in the clouds, right? Um, I believe that we are headed into, by the way, I don't know when the rapture is. If I knew, I could make a whole lot of money. I don't know when it is. I have guesses and speculations, and I, to be honest, I thought it would have already happened. If I was God, I would have already raptured you. Uh, but I don't know when that's happening, but, but I'm seeing the signs. Anyone who has eyes to see and ears to hear are seeing the signs of the end times converging, just as the Bible said. Now, this, I'm not going to go through the signs of the end times. That's not my purpose today. I want to focus more on Israel and the war that's going on and, and uh, how that's not catching God by surprise, and it's not catching me by surprise And if it caught you by surprise, you won't be surprised at the end of this sermon. Okay? Uh, Hamas, as far as I know, as far as 33 minutes ago, when I last checked, there are still Hamas terrorists at large in the southern region of Israel. I did hear that Hezbollah in the north has fired a few mortars, um, but it appears that the IDF, as well as Hezbollah are trying to keep a a lid on it. It's not escalating too much at this point. That could change. As you guys know, what's the saying? All's fair in love and war. Um, We don't know what could happen 10 minutes after this sermon, but as of now, it looks like it's a uh, mow the grass operation. You know, they're going in and taking out the terrorist, um, the Hamas extremist, and going to mow the grass for a bit, and then more terrorists will grow up, and they'll have to go back in and mow the grass again. That looks like what it's going to be, uh, but we'll talk about that. It was a very sophisticated attack. They came into Israel by land, air, and sea. Hamas has not ever done that. Hamas historically has done uh, very primitive attacks on Israel. You know, uh, the bombs, the rockets, uh, launches like that the degree of sophistication would make the astute observer believe that in some way Iran is involved. Now, I'm not trying to blame anybody, but the truth is the president of Iran uh, yesterday called the leader of Hamas and congratulated them on such a victory in Israel. Make no mistake about it, this was a massacre. A massacre of innocent people, not just IDF uh, soldiers. There were women, children, the elderly that were murdered in the streets, in their homes. There were some 250 young people at a a peace party uh, in the south that were surrounded by Hamas, and bullets just started flying. Hundreds of people were dead. I think the latest count is I saw 750 confirmed dead. We don't even know yet how many people have been taken hostage and they were marched back into Gaza. 
uh, where, where Hamas is stationed and where they have infiltrated. There, there are, by the way, innocent, wonderful Palestinian people in Gaza that are going to be the victims of this as well. Uh, we're talking about the extremists here today. So we know that there are, there are people that have been marched back uh, in there. We, so we don't know the fallout. Thousands of people have been injured. Hundreds murdered, thousands have injured. Already, the casualties are exceeding that of the Six-Day War in 1967. They are saying that what happened yesterday in Israel is equivalent to what happened in America on 9-11. So as an American... Just hearing 9-11, that guttural feeling that you just felt, that's exactly what our brothers and sisters in Israel experienced yesterday and they're currently going through. So as a pastor, I have to talk about this. I have to address what's going on. You know, I will tell you that Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 6, that a sign of the end times is that there will be wars and rumors of wars. That's one of the signs. Wars have been going on, by the way, since the beginning of humanity. You go back to Genesis, the first uh, view of violence. We have Cain raised his hand against Abel, and there has been murder and bloodshed ever since. Uh, we know from recorded history, at least, that there are some 10,624 wars recorded in history. 10,000. 624 wars that have been recorded. Most of those are in Europe, by the way. What's up with the queen? What's going on in Europe? Most of the wars are recorded in Europe. But if we look at the estimated wars around the world, including Africa and South America, many of those wars have never been recorded. We're talking about an estimated 50,000 wars. Humanity has only been at peace, like with no war anywhere, in the entire span of our humanity, only for 268 years. So out of thousands, 6,000 years of humanity, we've only experienced peace for 268 years. War has been a terrible curse on humanity since the beginning of recorded history, and I want to make sure that we all understand why wars happen. The Bible's very clear on why war happens. The narrative of the world doesn't match what Scripture says on why wars happen. The world would lead us to believe that war happens due to social injustice. And it sounds benevolent, it sounds wise, and it sounds smart that there's there's social injustice and unrest, therefore it's war. But the Bible says that's not actually what causes war. In fact, the Bible says there's going to be a thousand years at the end of human history, a thousand years with complete justice, zero injustice, and it will still result in war. So it's not injustice that starts war. We, we can find out what starts war uh, from the book of James, chapter 4, says... Um, what is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? James, the brother of Jesus, asks in verse 1, chapter 4. He says, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you murder. 
You are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. So we know that the real issue of any war is the human heart. It's the condition of the heart. And we can try to fix it with programs, and we can try to fix it with equality and making things like fixing justice, but that doesn't fix hearts. And as a believer, we stand in alignment with God's word that says only Jesus can transform the heart. This is why it is critical for you to share your faith in the streets and when you're on vacation in France and when you're camping in Tennessee. You've got to continue to share your faith because it's sharing our faith with the world that prevents wars. But why Israel? You've got to answer that question. Why Israel? Israel's kind of... Everybody talks about Israel. Israel is like the size of New Jersey. And the whole world is concerned about Israel. Have you ever just wondered, like, why Israel? Why, what's the big deal with Israel? Why do people hate Israel? Why does God love Israel? I'll tell, we'll answer that right now so that you can get a framework and understand why all the world is against Israel. They're against Israel, number one, because God gave us the Bible through the Jews. Ever thought about that? This thing that we revere and this thing that is, is perfect and, and changes our life and leads us to the cross and leads us to redemption and leads us to wholeness. This was brought to you courtesy of the Jews. Come on, church, say thank you. I know, cheap joke, cheap joke. The Bible was brought to us by the Jews. But that's not the only reason the world hates the Jews. And the enemy is trying to devour the Jews. The Messiah came to us through the Jews. God, I don't know. I don't know why God chose the Jews, but he did. I don't know why he didn't choose Australians. I don't know why he didn't choose the, the people in Waco or the people in Buda. I don't know why God chose the Jews, but he did. He chose the Jews to bring the Messiah to the earth. And because of that, the enemy is mad. And those that aren't believers in Jesus, they, there is a natural war inside of them against Christianity and against the Jews. Because the Jews birthed the Messiah. Why else does the devil hate the Jews so much? Um, well, Israel, to be honest, is God's illustrated sermon. Have you ever been to church when I've done an illustration? I like use some prop to get my point across. Sometimes I use goats. Sometimes I use balls, chairs, tables. Israel is God's illustrated sermon. God chose to use Israel to prove to the globe that there is a God. Think about this. Israel is the only nation ever in human history that was overcome, overruled, dispersed to all the nations, hundreds of years, thousands of years, 19, 2,200 years, 2,500 years go by where these people are, are not a nation. We, we think in 1930 and 1920 and 1910, the preachers, my colleagues of that day would have said, we don't know if there's ever going to be an Israel. 
we can't figure it out. The Bible talks about Israel, but they were destroyed hundreds of, hundreds of years ago. In fact, that's where replacement theology comes in. Replacement theology is this theology that says the church replaces Israel. And all the promises to Israel now apply to the church because we are one new man. But that's a, that's a false that's a false gospel. That's not actually the truth. That came about because we didn't see that Israel was ever going to exist again. So all the promises that hadn't been fulfilled to Israel surely must be for the church. Because for 2,000 years, the church was what was becoming alive, not Israel. And then in 1948, in a day, the Bible says that Israel was going to be rebirthed in a day. And in a single day, Israel was rebirthed. No other nation has been birthed in a day but Israel. No other nation has been dispersed for hundreds, thousands of years, brought back into their homeland with their same tradition, same culture, same language. This was an anomaly. This was impossible. This was God's illustration that Israel was his people, his chosen ones to deliver the Messiah, to deliver the word, his people to be an illustration to the earth. You, you do understand that Israel was complete desert. Mark Twain, when he rode through Israel before it was founded again, when it, Jews came back into the land, it was nothing but desert. Mark Twain said nothing could survive here. But God's word had a promise in it that from the land of Israel, the nations would eat its fruit and its vegetables. And once the Jews came back into the land, suddenly Israel started to produce and the grass started to grow and trees were flourishing. Israel now is one of the top producers of fruits and vegetables in the globe. Why? Because Israel is God's illustrated sermon. That's why the devil hates Israel. You want another reason? I'll give you another reason why the devil hates Israel. Genesis 12, 2. The promise to Abraham was that God said, I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by you. Did you know that during the millennium, the thousand year reign, God is going to use the Jews, the people of Israel that now has said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and they believe that Jesus is the Messiah. God is going to use Israel during that thousand years to bless the entire world. The devil knows the promise. The devil hates Israel because Israel is God's mechanism to bless the world and Satan only wants to curse it. Is it making a bit more sense now why Israel is hated among us? Zechariah, 12, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 3 tells us this though. It says, it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut into pieces, though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. So this is telling us that God has established Israel and no nation will be able to uproot it. Little Israel, the size of New Jersey, is like a heavy stone. And people are going to try to lift it, try to displace it, and the fact that they try to remove Israel from the land that God has given them will cut them into pieces. So the title of my sermon is Wars and Rumors of Wars. 
I want to talk to you about the end time wars, because when something like what happened and is happening now breaks out, I get texts and emails and calls and people want to ask me questions on, do I think this is uh, the end war, the final war? Do I think this is the battle of Armageddon? And they want to know what I think about it. So I want to transfer my knowledge into you so that you can assess the situation and know where we are on the prophetic timeline. Is that all right? Okay. Um, when you talk about the end time wars, how many wars do you think of? The world has made a movie about an end time war. Armageddon. Right? Anyone ever heard the term Armageddon? That's kind of like, when we think of apocalypse, the next term we think of is Armageddon, right? So that's, that's a massive war that the world thinks about. Every war is lumped into that. Anyone know of any other wars in the end times? Gog and Magog. Yes, there's a war called Gog and Magog. I'll have people ask me, um, hopefully not after hearing this sermon, but they will say, do you think this skirmish is Gog and Magog? And I'm going to tell you in this sermon how you should answer that and what the answer is. Um, but did you know there are two wars of Gog and Magog? There's not just one Gog and Magog, there's two. So we've, we're now up to three. Um, I've gone through scripture and I've, I've got it labeled for us so that we can all understand. I'm going to move through it pretty quick. We're almost like just uh, water skiing on the surface of some very deep material. Is that all right? I'm just helping you understand and grasp what's going on in the world. Uh, when we talk about end time wars, there aren't three wars. There are actually nine wars. There are nine wars that I want you to understand where they're at in Scripture, who the key players are, and what you can expect from each of these wars. So hopefully you've got your notes ready. I'm going to start with the first war, and that is... Let me just put a disclaimer out here. It's what I would call the iffy war. All right? Like, it, it's iffy. It may be a war. It may not be a war. People disagree. Good God-fearing people disagree on if this is a war or if it was just a lament from Asaph. And that's Psalm 83. Psalm 83 war is the name of this war. Or you could call it, if you're taking notes, the war of annihilation. Like I said, some people believe that Psalm 83 is just a lament. Some people believe that this happened in Bible times, but it absolutely did not. That is not uh, verifiable by historical records. Uh, some people would say that the Psalm 83 war was the war of 1967. I know a guy that believes that. Um, he doesn't know yet that he's wrong. Uh, but I disagree with that. I don't believe that 1967 is the war, was the war of Psalm 83, and I'll tell you why. In Psalm 83, it lists all the surrounding enemies of Israel. Not the nations, the surrounding factions. So who would qualify for this in Psalm 83 would be Hamas, Hezbollah, any of the warring factions that are around, any of the terrorist organizations, uh, some of the groups in Jordan, some of the groups in Egypt, just the surrounding neighbors, right? Like 
they're in and out of Israel constantly. That's who Psalm 83 is talking about. Now, all of those key players were in the 1967 war, but in Psalm 83, it tells us that God is going to obliterate those enemies. Are those enemies obliterated today? No, because we're having to mow the grass again. They're back in Israel. By the way, I don't want to come off as cavalier, even towards the heart of a terrorist. Because every human is a person that Jesus died for. So when I, when I speak with passion, I hope that you know your pastor's heart. I don't think terrorism should be handled lightly. But even in our defense of nations and peoples and innocent victims, we should understand the gravity that someone might just be going to hell that day. And that should concern us. We should never be so calloused and hard-hearted towards any human, no matter how far they are from Jesus or what they've done, that we don't take a minute to pause on that. Amen? But we know that they're back. That's what happened yesterday. Uh, so we know that Psalm 83 war has not happened. Now, it may not happen. It may just be a lament. Can we read Psalm 83 together? Let's do that. I'm going to read from a different translation than you're going to see on the screen. But you can follow along. O God, do not keep silent. Be not quiet, O God. Be not still. See how your enemies are astir, how your foes rear their heads. With cunning they conspire against your people. They plot against those you cherish. Come, they say, let us destroy them as a nation. Sounds familiar. That the name of Israel be remembered no more. With one mind they plot together, they form an alliance against you. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites and Moab, of Moab and Hagrites, Gabal, Ammon, Amalek, Philistia, with the people of Tyre, even Assyria has joined them to lend strength to the descendants of Lot, Selah. Do to them as you did to Midian. This is talking about uh, in Judges where God confused the enemy and he totally destroyed the enemy. Asaph is asking God to do the same for those coming against Israel. Verse 13, make them like tumbleweed, oh my God, like chaff before the wind, as fire consumes the forest or a flame sets the mountains ablaze. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Cover their faces with shame so that men will seek your name, O Lord. May they ever be ashamed and dismayed. May they perish in disgrace. Let them know that you, whose name is the Lord, that you alone are the most high over all the earth. That is what is known as the Psalm 83 war. All right, That's the first war that we're talking about today. Um, and you may ask, well, Pastor Trey, do you believe that what started yesterday is the Psalm 83 war? I'm glad you asked. I don't know. It's all the same. It, it's like starting that direction. We've got Hamas. We've got the people that are around Israel. Here's what I'm not saying why I don't know that it's the Psalm 83 war or if it's going to fulfill all of that. 
Um, Hezbollah in the north would need to take a much more active role uh, in, in the infiltration, as well as I think the Taliban has requested passageway through Iran, Iraq, and Jordan to be a part of the skirmish. If we see multiple factions coming together, a conglomeration of groups coming together that does not include outer nations. So I'm not tur talking about Turkey. I'm not talking about Russia. I'm not talking about Egypt necessarily or Ethiopia. Um, I'm not talking about Jordan. I don't know if I said that. Uh, we're not talking about the nations, but if we see factions joining together, this might just be the Psalm 83 war that's prophesied in Scripture, all right? How does the Psalm 83 war end? All the enemies being destroyed. So Israel will win the Psalm 83 war. God will win the war for Israel if and when this war actually ends up being the war. I call it the iffy war, but here's what's interesting. The next war I want to get to, uh, these groups, the inner layer, the neighbors of Israel, are not included in the next war that the Bible talks about, and that's the war of Gog and Magog. Have you guys heard of Gog and Magog before? You've heard it referenced? Okay. We know that this war is going to happen. You can take this to the bank, you, you can be absolutely certain that the war of Gog and Magog is going to happen, and that is going to involve a number of nations, primarily ones that are in the news every single day right now. Russia, Iran, and Turkey. There are, there are other players. Ethiopia is going to be a part of that. Um, some factions in Egypt and Jordan, some areas of Jordan, also known as Elam, are going to be a part of that. But the real key players are Russia, Turkey, Russia, Turkey, and Iran. And you can see in the news uh, every day their alliances are growing closer and tighter together. That is coming. The big debate on this war, by the way, the war of Gog and Magog you'll find in Ezekiel 38 and 39. I'm not going to read that. I'll let you read that yourself. The big debate on this war is when it's going to happen. For the longest time, we believed, most people believed that this war happened at the beginning of what is known as the tribulation, a.k.a. the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, as a pre-tribulation rapture guy, I believe that the rapture is happening before the seven-year tribulation, that this, God doesn't need the church here at that time. And in fact, uh, what happens in the War of Gog and Magog, how God wins the battle through signs and wonders, it's very reminiscent of how God treated the Jews in the Old Testament. Since the church has been here, we have been the signs and the wonders and the miracles to win over Israel. It has been our job to witness to the Jews and bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. That's why we don't necessarily see seas splitting and mountains being torn in two and the grandiose miracles of God because the Jews, signs are for the Jews. And I believe when the rapture happens and the church is taken, God is going to then start working in miraculous signs again to win the heart of the Jew. We did uh, believe for the longest time, Stefan, that the war of Gog and Magog was at the beginning of the tribulation, but now the majority of of scholars. I'm not a scholar, but I do have an opinion. 
and I side with the scholars on this. Majority believe it will happen in the interim. So at some point after the rapture of the church, but before the tribulation actually starts. The tribulation doesn't start with the rapture of the church, by the way. The tribulation starts biblically when the Antichrist signs and confirms a covenant, a seven-year covenant that will allow Israel to rebuild a temple. That's when the time starts ticking for the tribulation. Most believe that the war of Gog and Magog is going to happen uh, before the tribulation starts. And out of that uprising, out of that war, uh, the Antichrist is going to bring peace. All right, He's going to uh, step in in Europe with smooth talking and through diplomacy, and he's going to establish peace. God will step in and he'll defeat enemies. Um, and in this war, we see through scripture that the fire, Russia actually, Turkey and Iran will fire nukes at Israel and the nukes will turn back on those who sent them. <laughs> it's going to be so obvious that God won the war. The entire world will now know that there is a God and his people are in Israel. God is going to do it. In the war of Gog and Magog, that's early on in the tribulation. I won't be here for that. You won't be here for that. Um, then let's go to the next war in Revelation chapter 6. So the tribulation conventional war. You could also call this World War Three, if you want. Uh, it's when all the nations are, are fighting. You can read about this in the seal judgments. The Antichrist launches his attacks to take over the world. He rises to power through diplomacy, but soon he tries to take over the world through war. Uh, that happens in a conventional war first in Revelation 6. And then the fourth war spills over. It's really just a continuation of the previous one we just talked about. Um, is the tribulation nuclear war. Now it could go nuclear very quickly. It could, within a day or two we could be jumping from war number three to war number four. Revelation 8 talks about uh, nuclear capacity, uh, skin being melted, the fire. It says one-third of the world is going to be killed. By the way, in Revelation chapter 6, uh, one-quarter of humanity is going to die. 25% of the world is going to die. <laughs> Don't ever ask if we're in the tribulation. If we're in the tribulation, you're going to know. Even even if I'm wrong about a pre-tribulation rapture, even if I don't, I am 100% sure, but that doesn't mean I'm right. Okay? I am fully convinced with every fiber of my being that it is a pre-tribulation rapture backed up by scripture. I see it in types and shadows from beginning to end. I can't even imagine it any other way. I'm 100% sure. You can take it to the bank, but that doesn't mean I'm right. And if I'm wrong, guess what? I'm not going to lose my faith. And you won't either. Because that's not what our faith is built. Our faith is not built on an escape. Our faith is built on a faith. Are you about shutting me down? You're about, to, you're about to shut me down, aren't you? Dang it. Our faith is built on a faithful God. 
And if there's not a pre-tribulational rapture, guess what? We will endure to the end or until a third of the world is killed. Either way, my resting place, my journey ends in heaven. Oh, come on, somebody. That is the hope that we have. No matter how, I, I may not even see the tribulation start. I could die on 35. I think I almost do about seven times a week. I don't know when my last day on earth is, but I'll tell you where my eternity is going to be. In glory. In heaven. It is not built by human hands. With streets of gold. and Walls of jasper. Angels ready to hear all my stories. And Trey, tell me what it was like when. And I'll tell them and I'll make the story even better than what it really was. And I see my granny walking around and my cousin James, who was crippled, no longer in a wheelchair. I, I see the family that has gone on before me. And oh, man, we are eating fried chicken. No calories. Heaven is a real, real place. I'm getting off my notes. I know y'all want to hear about war, not heaven. <laughs> you won't have to ask if we're in the tribulation. Because a quarter of the earth is going to die in the first war. A third of those remaining will die in the second, next war. Then there's another war I want to tell you about. Maybe you've not heard about it. It's in Revelation 12. We won't see this war. Even if, even if we were to be here during that time, you wouldn't see this war because this is a war in heaven. The war in heaven. Revelation 12, 12. Satan is cast down to the earth. He actually... During the tribulation, somewhere about three and a half years in, he's going to decide that he wants to one more time try to take the throne of God. He's so dumb. Dumb. I don't care if he led worship good. He's dumb. I don't care if he's a pretty boy. Lucy, dumb. He's dumb. He thinks he could actually take the throne of God. And the Bible says that God is going to one last time kick him out of heaven. Revelation 12. And it, when he gets to earth, he realizes his time is short. The war in heaven, I can't imagine, because you know when things happen in the spirit realm, there's something that happens on the earth that mirrors it. I can't imagine what's going to be happening on the earth when there is a war in heaven. What is going to be going on? down here. I, I think it's bizarre, actually, that Satan still has access to the throne room. You know Satan's in heaven. He, he can travel back and forth. The Bible says he accused Job. The Bible says he accuses you. It should make you good, hot, and mad that he makes trips to heaven with your name on the envelope. But there's coming a day very soon when God is going to say no more. This door is shut and he sends Satan down one final time to the earth. That's the war in the heavens, Revelation chapter 12. The next war, the sixth war, is this interesting to anyone? The next war is the war on the Jewish people. The war in heaven, Satan gets sent down and I believe that he embodies the Antichrist in that moment. The Antichrist becomes demon-possessed. Ooh, 
I didn't like doing that. I'm not going to play like that. I'm not even going to play. I don't play. I don't even watch The Exorcist. I don't watch the movie Carrie with that car. I don't do that. Demons go in Jesus' name. But the devil's going to come down from heaven. He's going to embody the Antichrist. And the Antichrist is going to establish a war on the Jewish people. That's also in Revelation 12. Now, he's tried to do that all throughout human history. He's tried to obliterate the Jewish people because of the reasons we listed earlier. He tried to do that through, um, through Hitler. He tried to do that uh, when uh, Russia wouldn't let the people leave in the 40s and the 30s. Like over and over, he has tried to obliterate the Jewish people. And he's going to do that again midway through the tribulation. That's in Revelation 12. Um, Think about this, by the way. The Jewish people came into existence at the same time the Arab people did. Same time. Arab, you know this. Arab is from the line of Ishmael, and the Jews are from the line of Isaac, right? So they came into, into being at the exact same time. I mean, they, they were brothers in the lines. We're going, I would love to do a sermon sometime on how Abraham had to... Send Hagar and Ishmael away, and just the turmoil that Abraham felt as a father. And in God's kindness, he said, But I'm still going to bless Ishmael, and his people are going to become a nation. Think of the Arab nations, they don't even know that all of their prosperity, all of their influence, all of their peoples are a gift from God. A gift from a God they don't even serve. It's so beautiful. What a beautiful illustration of just the grace and the mercy of God. But back to my point, Arabs and Jews were established at the same time. Well, today there are 400 million Arabs. That's a lot. There are 400 million beautiful, wonderful, lovely Arabs. How many Jews do you think there are? 14 million that should illustrate to you the severity of the massacre on the Jewish people. A lineage that started at the same time, one of the groups has 400 million, the other 14 million. There has been a slaughter on the Jewish people. In Old Testament, by the way, the Jews ran to Egypt for safety. In modern times, the Jews came to the United States of America for safety. But in the tribulation, the Jews will have nowhere to run for safety but God. God. That's the war on the Jewish people. Seventh war. Are we doing okay? Seventh war is found in Daniel chapter 11. That's the Antichrist Middle East war. When he has the war on the Jewish people, the Bible says that the majority of the Jews are going to go off into hiding. Uh, we suppose that they're going to go into Jordan, Petra. They're going to be hidden from the Antichrist, nurtured by Christ, loved by Christ, taught by Christ. And the Antichrist will make his way back to his headquarters, wherever that may be. My guess is it's in Europe, potentially Rome. That would just be my guess. Um, but somewhere in the next several months of him going back to his headquarters, there's going to be a revolt in the Middle East, there are going to be Arab nations that don't like the Antichrist at all. Um, I mean, let's face it, 
guys, Africa, South America, there are many populations that have spent 200 years like oppressing the European colonization. The Antichrist coming from that area is not going to sit well with the majority of the world. And so we're going to see a revolt after the Jews are in hiding. And Daniel 11 says he's going to make his way down through the nations. So he's going to go through Turkey, through Syria, through Israel, all the way down into Egypt, conquering people. Towards uh, the end of the tribulation, he hears about that and he conquers people. But the Bible says he's not allowed to go into Jordan. So he's trying to conquer everyone, but the Antichrist cannot make it into Jordan. Why is that? Because God is hiding the Jews there. He's preparing his people for the end of days. Uh, He hears a rumor that armies are coming from the east. So he makes it down to Egypt. He's killing all these people, and he hears that a large army is coming from the east. Now, I'm pretty good with direction, but for those of you who aren't, let me just give you a tip. The east would point you approximately to China. China is going to hate the Antichrist. They're going to, uh, let me say this with less certainty. I believe it's China that's going to have a 200 million man army. The Euphrates is going to dry up and they're going to send a 200 million uh, army to defeat the Antichrist. This battle is the final, or number eight, the battle of Armageddon. This is the famous battle. And what's funny is um, this is actually not a battle at all. The one battle that the world knows is actually not a battle at all. It's a gathering of the bad guys. The Bible tells us in Joel 3, Zechariah 14, and Revelation 19, what's going to happen in the Valley of Megiddo. The Valley of Megiddo is where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. Uh, The millions of armies from the east and then the southern Antichrist and his armies are going to converge in the Valley of Megiddo. And the Bible tells us that Jesus returns foot down on the Mount of Olives. The mountain will split in half. And Jesus, with speaking a word, destroys the enemies. Jesus doesn't have to lift a sword. Oh, here's the good news. You and I will get to witness that. We will be riding with Jesus from the heavens. I don't know what's happening when I get to heaven. I just, I don't know if we're going to learn Kung Fu. I don't know. I don't know what kind of like maneuvers we're going to learn, but we're going to war. And we get front row seat. We're going to be riding down from heaven on the horses. Jesus is leading the way. I'm going to see who the Antichrist is. I think I have some ideas. I'm probably wrong. We're going to see the Antichrist. And as far as the eye can see, we're going to see the armies that have rejected God, that have hated God, that are killing everything that God loves. And God is going to step down, almost like Shazam, just step down on the mountain. The mountain is going to split in two. And with his word, suddenly the flesh of every enemy is going to melt. The Bible says that their blood is going to splatter as high as the horse's bridle for 200 miles. I'm glad I'm on the Lord's side. And that should give us an urgency to share the gospel. Because those who don't know Jesus, those who have not said yes to Jesus, are an enemy of God. 
That's the Battle of Armageddon. And then after that, church, we have a thousand years on earth, a millennial reign. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. God is going to set up a kingdom here. Jesus is going to rule from that third temple that's built. We don't need the temple right now. You are the temple of Jesus. You are the temple of Christ. We don't need a temple built. The only reason we even watch for the third temple to be built is because scripture says there is going to be one. And as we see the temple getting built and preparations made, we know we're that much closer to the return of Jesus. And in the final days, Jesus will rule from that temple. And in the thousand years, there will still be humans on earth. Imagine that. You and I will get to traverse from earth to heaven, back to earth, maybe to Mars for a day or two, Jupiter, another galaxy. And we'll have some job responsibilities to fulfill here back on earth. So we'll take care of that job responsibility and we'll rule and reign with Christ. And we'll make sure that justice is served and justice is law is fulfilled for a thousand years. There's going to be peace on earth. And humans are going to have babies and families and populations are going to grow all around the world again. And the Bible tells us the final war War number nine happens at the end of that thousand years. It's the second war of Gog and Magog. Different players, because those players in the first one will be gone, but the same concept, it's from the same region. And this war is not against the Jews. This war is against Christ. Satan will have been loosed. For a thousand years, he will be put away so that we have peace on earth. But he'll be loosed at the end of the thousand years, and he's going to try to build an army from the people. Now imagine that. People who know nothing but the goodness of God. Sounds an awful lot like the garden, doesn't it? For a thousand years, the world will know nothing but peace and joy and contentment and wholeness. And they'll get to travel to Israel for free once a year. The Bible says that everyone on the globe during that thousand years has to travel to Israel to eat from the leaves of the tree of life. That will keep them alive. What a wonderful world. Until the end of the thousand years, Satan will come up from the abyss. He will build an army, and they once again will try to overthrow God. That's the second war of Gog and Magog, and I think we all know how that ends. We're on the winning side. Will you stand to your feet? I hope this has given you some context for wars, what to look for. The war that Israel is currently in is not Gog and Magog. It could lead to it. It could lead to Psalm 83. You can study that on your own. But the most important war I want to leave you with is not an end-time war. It's an everyday war. It's the one you're facing right now. Ephesians 6 says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore. Having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Listen, Israel is going through a war. 
But every believer in Jesus right now is engaged in a war. The enemy wants to take you out. And I hope you never underestimate the importance of putting on the armor of God and making sure that you're suited up in your day because he will sneak in in ways you never saw him coming. And so when we talk about end time war, let's not forget today's war. Today's war. Today you're fighting for yourself and for your spouse and for your kids and your kids' kids and the generations if the Lord tarries. Today is the day salvation. Church, will you bow your head and close your eyes? If you're here this morning and as we talk about war and rumors of wars, you realize, I just, I need to just say yes to Jesus. He has been calling me. I sense that there's a shift in the world. I sense that something is going on and I don't, I don't know when Jesus is coming, but I know that today is the day where I need to say yes to him. If that's you, will you just lift your hand at me today? Thank you for that hand. Thank you. Two, three. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Church, will you say this prayer after me? There's no formula to it. Just from your heart, say, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner in need of grace. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that Jesus died on a cross. He rose again on the third day. I believe that from this moment forward, my life is never the same. I am not my own. I was bought at a price. I say yes, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you just said yes to Jesus, come on, let's celebrate, church. If you just said yes to Jesus, please scan the QR code. We want to walk this journey with you. Uh, it's a wonderful decision that you made today. We want to be with you in that. Now, church, now that you've been to church, it's time for lunch. Take what you got in here. Give it out there. And now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.